Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. I.e. pagan worship was one of the fundamental obligations of the population. All right, so in the community and context in which these Thessalonian believers lived, they were expected to be involved in the, um, the civic cults and pagan worship. In other words, if you became a Christian, your life changed and people noticed. You withdrew from significant aspects of community life. Now, you, didn't, you couldn't withdraw from community life. You'd been placed there, but you had to withdraw from certain aspects of it because it was so vile and immoral that you, cannot, you could not in conscience serve both God and do these pagan things. You may have been seen as intolerant of the gods of the day, but as people looked at your life, you became an example of a different way of living. Whereas looseness of morality reigned supreme in worship of the gods in a you do this for me and I'll do this for you kind of led the day, these people experienced righteousness, peace, and joy in God's Spirit. And as people saw how Jesus transformed their life, they continued to want more and more of that. And it became an incredible threat. If you go back to Acts 17, you'll find out that Paul is booted out of Thessalonica after only three weeks of preaching in the synagogue because there's so much opposition to his message by some people, and yet it was a message that was being readily accepted. God was doing great things through the working of his spirit here, and the adversary did not want that to happen. And so the darkness comes against what is good, and yet we know that the good is what wins. When we look at persecution, when we look at persecution, we are reminded that at the core of persecution is antagonism and hatred towards God. It means that when people come against you, they don't just hate you, they actually hate the God whom you serve. And that's why people oppose you. And so to stand and to be a light in the midst of a community or in the midst of a culture in which paganism and an ungodly practice abounds, to be a light means that you become a target oftentimes. But it also means that you become a light so that people can come to faith in the Messiah, Jesus these believers in Thessalonica were serving the living God in this culture. They were anxiously awaiting the return of the Messiah to rule, to reign, and to bring appropriate judgment to the earth. In other words, they're awaiting a righteous king. And so one of these issues that First Thessalonians deals with as a whole is, is when does the Messiah return? They had experienced grief and death, and Paul reminds them, first off, that the Messiah will come again. They haven't missed it. The Messiah will come again. And when you think about what they're going through with intense persecution, the hope that a righteous king, a righteous ruler will come, live, rule, and reign, and have judgment over wickedness is a very, very hopeful message. It's a message that reminds us that God will set things right where there is wrong. And so if you look at, with me at... Um, at chapter 5 for just a moment. 
chapter 5. Chapter 5 is written in part to address uh, how these believers are to live in a pagan world while awaiting the return of the Messiah for his bride, the church. And verse 2 says this, For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When you see day of the Lord, it often refers to a coming judgment. And this refers to the judgment that God will bring to the earth during the tribulation. And he says judgment is going to come suddenly. It will come like a thief. When, when some say peace and security, then sudden destruction comes on them like labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. He says in verse 4, But you brothers are not in the dark for this day to overtake you like a thief. You're not in the dark. You are all sons of light and sons of day. What is he doing here? He, he's contrasting who these people are compared to other people. He's saying there's people of light and there's people of darkness. People of light are the people who have come to faith in the Messiah Jesus, and as a result, they live for him. Regardless of this context, regardless of the ramifications, they live for him. And they live for him not out of, um, you, do the, you do this for me, I do this for you. They live, out of, they live for him because they've been called to be his child. And they walk in faithfulness as his child. And yet there's people in darkness There's people who are without God who do not understand that Jesus came and that he died and he rose again so that they might have life. And they walk in darkness and darkness characterizes their deeds. He's telling these followers of Jesus, you're people of light, not people of dark. Continue to trust in the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Messiah. And he goes on to say in verse uh, 9, and he, he says this in chapter 1 as well, in verse 10 of chapter 1, but he says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. All right? Th- their hope is that they don't experience the wrath of God that is poured out. They don't experience it because their identity has changed. They are children of God. They have been saved. Jesus' death was sufficient to satisfy God's wrath upon the cross, and it is effectual for all who trust in him. We sometimes sing, For on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live. These believers are people who find life in the midst of the death of the Messiah and the resurrection of the Messiah. And that has changed how they live. He says in verse 8, if you look at chapter 5, verse 8, he says, But since we belong to the day, since we belong to the day, what I love about this statement, he's going to say, since we belong to the day, do this. But by saying, since we belong to the day, he's saying, I want to remind you of who you are. I want to remind you of your identity before God. You are God's child. You're called to live in keeping with this. In other words, it's not performance-based religion. Their their identity as God's child gives them hope and direction and power for how to walk. And just to ask you really quickly here this morning, when you look at yourself, who are you? Identity is one of the things that many of us struggle with every single day. Who are you? One of the first things we should do every single morning is wake up and say, I am a child of God. Here's then how God calls me to walk. Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a person of light or a person of the darkness? Is your identity in him? If the day of the Lord were to come today, would you escape the wrath of God? 
The only way we escape the wrath of God is by going to Jesus who paid for our sins so that we may not experience God's wrath. But notice, as he says this in verse 6, he says, um, sorry, verse 8, he says, since we belong to the day, we must be serious. Be serious. Maybe yours says sober-minded. And put on the armor of faith and love on our chests and put a helmet of the hope of salvation. We must be serious. If you want, you can underline that phrase in your Bible. It happens twice, once in verse 8 and once in verse 6. Verse 6 says, so then we must not sleep like the rest, but we must stay awake and be serious. We must be self-controlled. We must be sober-minded, maybe is how yours translate it. It's a Greek word, and it's a Greek word, nepho. Can you say nepho? Nepho, it's a fantastic Greek word, and it means to be well-balanced and self-controlled. It means to be free from every form of mental and spiritual drunkenness, from excess, passion, rashness, and confusion. All right? When you think of nepho, you think the opposite of drunkenness. Now, drunkenness, it, not in the literal sense necessarily, although that is also applicable. He's talking about both literal and figurative. He's, he's talking about the spiritual drunkenness that comes over us, and it's caused by excess, passion, rashness, and confusion. And why does he call Thessalonian believers a facing severe persecution to be nepho? to be self-controlled, to be well-balanced? It's a good question. Um, one of the places, this is used six times in the Bible, three times in the book of 1 Peter. One of the references in 1 Peter talks about how, how Peter wants his writers to be self-controlled. He wants them to be well-balanced for the purpose of prayer. For the purpose of prayer. There is something about our frenetic or crazy lifestyle that causes us oftentimes to be distracted in such a way that we lose what is most important. And we lose those most basic foundational principles for our spiritual life. And so one of the things, I, I, one of the reasons I think he's saying I want you to be balanced and self-controlled is because he knows very easily our lives become topsy-turvy. All right? They, they, they become um, weighted down by cares of this world. They become driven by excess the, the thirst and desire for more by passion, and that's unbridled passion or ungodly passion. They, they become uh, marked by rashness where we make decisions without really considering the cost or confusion. We have so many different sources of data coming into our life that we can't even begin to separate them out. He says, be well-balanced, self-controlled. Take an honest look at your life and say, am I in a place that I can honestly go to God and hear his voice as I pray and commune with him. And this is tough for each one of us. And sometimes, oftentimes, it's a daily decision. It's a daily action. I know for me, one of the challenges that I have when it comes to prayer is I get distracted all the time. You know, I have to like turn off my phone, turn off the music. I have to get away sometimes just to be able to concentrate and to focus. Because my life is filled with as many distractions as per perhaps yours is. When we come, even both us and the ancient uh, audience here, he, he wants them to stay awake and be serious. Those who sleep, sleep at night, verse 7, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. Night is not known as the um, best of times um, for behavior. But since we belong to the day, 
since your identity is being God's child, we must be serious, well-balanced, self-controlled, and put the armor of faith and love on our chests and the helmet of the hope of salvation. What causes you to become impaired? What causes you to become impaired? Um, This last week, I did a Google search for um, impaired driving in Michigan. Just curious about some stats. And it's interesting, there's there's two statutes that you can get in trouble for uh, while you're driving in particular. Uh, One is operating while intoxicated, and the other one is operating while visually impaired. And I thought, whew, one of the things that can impair a lot of us is this right here, right? When we think about distractions, when we think about things that, that cause excess and passion, oftentimes it's small yet useful things that take us from where God wants us to be and move us into a place where we become less effective for ministry work. Facing persecution, Paul teaches the Thessalonian church, be self-controlled, be sober, put on the armor of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. And Paul uses military language here to suggest defensive tactics in which they are to stand. There are three ingredients that he states are crucial to Christian living. Faith and love. You know, trust in the Messiah Jesus alone. Salvation is in him alone. It's interesting, faith and love are both um, gifts and, and qualities of the Spirit. Not gifts, but they're, they're fruits of the Spirit. You know, the, spirit of, of the, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They're, they're things that God works in us as we actively walk with God and allow His Spirit to live in us. Hope is another important thing, especially to people facing challenging times. Hope means this, according, uh, well defined by one commentator. He says this, a confident expectancy for the future resting on what God has done in the past. When we face challenging times, it's helpful to remember what God has said God will do. We may have trouble in this world now, but as the scripture says, take heart, I have overcome the world. Hope is a confident expectancy for the future, resting on what God has done in the past. Remember what God has done and remember his promises because that will help move you forward to the future. So we, we come to this, and I told you that we're, we're going to spend a couple minutes praying for persecuted believers. And you're like, how does this help me do that? When you came in, I, I had our ushers hand out a, a blue bookmark. If you have that, would you pull that out? This bookmark, uh, what I decided to do was go through 1 Thessalonians and, um, and come up with various prayers and, and encouragements that the Apostle Paul had for the Thessalonian believers. He, he says in chapter 5, verse 11, he says, encourage one another and build each other up as you're already doing. In chapter 1, he says, we always thank God for all of you, remembering you constantly in our prayers. The life of the Apostle Paul was one that was bent towards other people, people whom he had helped disciple, people who were with him in the same mission. And what I did for you is I walked through, and this isn't exhaustive, but, but I walked through some qualities and some, some spiritual qualities that you can pray for for people facing difficult times. Now, the great thing is, is that you can pray this for people facing persecution, but you can also pray this for your family. You can pray this for yourself. This is meant to be used as a guide to help you pray biblically. 
So you can pray for people to welcome the word of God in their lives, to be faithful examples for other believers, to boldly proclaim the gospel, to encourage comfort and implore one another to walk worthy of God, to increase in their love for one another, to grow in holiness, to reject sexual immorality and embrace sanctification, which is a big word for holiness, Um, to walk properly in the presence of outsiders, to live in the hope of Christ's imminent return, and to live soberly with faith, love, and the hope of salvation. Those are prayers you can pray. And what we're going to do this morning, recognizing that there are are believers who are facing um, really challenging times, much like the story you saw, recognizing that there are believers facing that, we're going to spend a couple minutes just as a community in silence praying. Now, it doesn't have to be absolute silence. You know, husbands, wives, if you want to pray together, feel free. Parents, if you want to grab a couple of your kids around and you want to pray together and help lead and guide your family in that, do so. Um, in, in a couple minutes, we'll start playing some music and we're going to sing a couple songs and then we're going to transition to communion. Um, but we want to give you a couple minutes to pray. As you pray, you might be like, I don't know anybody who's really facing persecution like that. You know, what we face in America, it can be very challenging at times, but what we saw in that video takes it up a whole nother octane level. Uh, and so what we've done is we're going to have some slides rolling, and you can start that, Dustin. Um, we're going to have a couple of slides rolling, and these are people whom we partner with who live and work with people in areas of the world who face similar persecution, Right? So there's an example there. Next one, Dustin. There's an example there. There's another one there. There's another one there. And as you go through, pick out a face, pick out a name, write down the names of these people whom we partner with who faithfully present the gospel amidst people groups where it's um, challenging. Let's go to prayer right now. I invite you to pray. Friends, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, As you go, two things. The first is, is often we take a benevolent offering on Communion Sundays, and we're going to do that, but we're going to ask you, if you're giving uh, towards benevolence, and that's to help practical needs in our community, uh, they come in all shapes and all sizes, there's a special offering envelope, it's a white envelope in the P-Rack in front of you, if you just put that in there and drop it in the joy boxes as you leave today, that would be fantastic. The other thing is we want to invite you for the next 10 days to pick one of these ways in which to pray for someone who is experiencing great difficulty. It may be someone in your sphere of context, in, in someone that you know who is walking through a really difficult time. You want to pray one of these things for them. I encourage you to do so. It may be someone um, like the missionaries that we had up on the screen before. I encourage you to write their names down. There is a missions um, prayer, or on the back of our prayer card in the, at the Welcome Center, there's a list of every missionary. If you go over to the missions um, TV over there, there are ways that you can follow what is going on in their lives and in their ministries. That's a great way to know how to more specifically pray for them, but 10 ways to pray for 10 days. Take one of these each day. Make it a family focus of prayer. So like tomorrow you might go with 
I'm going to pray that people would welcome the word of God in their life. And then just kind of keep going down through, through biblical um, guides to prayer. Would you stand with me as we close this morning? If there's anything that we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, we want to be able to do that. We want to help you know him and make him known in your context. So let's pray together. Lord, as we prepare to enter into the world, we're reminded that while we live in this world, we are not of this world. God, that gives us hope, but it also gives us purpose. Because as we go, you want us to be people who would shine light in dark places. And God, there is a lot of darkness in this world. But as you have called us to be your children, and as we walk in the light and in the power of your spirit, God, we pray that people would see the message of God lived out in our lives in practical, everyday ways. That they might see a reason for the hope that we have within us. And that we might be able to encourage and share the love of Jesus with gentleness and respect. Thank you, God, for going with us. Thank you for caring so much about us that you came to this earth, that you died, and that you rose again so that, you might, so that we might have life with you forever. We bless you, Lord God. We thank you that in the midst of severe persecution, in the midst of difficulty because of the name of Jesus, that you still call us to be your witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. For your glory and for your fame, Lord, we live. Thank you, God, for saving us. We pray this together in the strong name of Jesus and everyone says, amen. Amen. Have a fantastic week. God bless you. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.